When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Schreiber. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. Hello, folks. Uh, women's semi-finals day today at the U.S. Open, and well, it's been a day like no other really for us because, as you'll know by now, Her Majesty the Queen passed away today, which meant wall-to-wall news coverage in the U.K. I wasn't required for commentary on BBC Radio on the tennis today. It may be affected tomorrow as well, maybe even over the weekend. We're still waiting for confirmation about all of that. The prime video coverage as well that was reduced a little in the uk the matches have been played and and screened though but it has meant no studio work for catherine today all of that very much understandable it's what we would have expected in the uk um but for the podcast with our global audience well we're going to proceed as normal daily podcasts we know that some of our listeners may not want to listen to it today and maybe over the next few days as well and we very much understand that we we respect that Um, but at the same time the u.s open here has continued we're the tennis podcast we're here to cover it so we're going to do that and do that for those of you that are listening right now and anybody else who wants to over the next few days has been a strange old day though hasn't it Catherine? yeah a day that we'll we'll never forget i don't i don't think one of those sort of you'll remember where you were um and look people feel a a a broad range of emotions about this a broad sort of volume of emotions about this some some will feel none at all and say oh a woman that i don't know has died but i just think it's it's just unsettling um my um my 97-year-old grandpa passed away while uh, I was at the Australian Open this year. And what my my brother said to me um, when I spoke to him and sort of was confused about how upset I was about it because he was very elderly and very much ready to go uh, if, his, if his comments were to be believed. And he, my brother said, it's the disappearance of something that felt strangely permanent. And I think that, sums up feelings today i think it's just it's just very unsettling um and for that reason some people may not want to listen to a tennis podcast but it might make some people more want to listen to a tennis podcast so hopefully the fact that you're here means that you want to be listening to this so we're going to talk about tennis we are because we've just been watching the first of the women's semi-finals between Caroline Garcia and Ons Jabeur and Matt I was out getting a bit of food uh, for the first few games and I was very much expecting when I came back up with it 
to be on serve, to be at 2-1. I thought it'd be all very close. And I walked in and you said, Garcia's having a shocker. And, and Jabir is clearly on it. What, what was going on? Garcia was having a shocker. Oh dear. <laughs> what does that mean? Well, it means that the player we've seen over the last two to three months, and in particular at this tournament, in particular the other night against Coco Golf, was not there today. And I don't, I don't know whether it was the old Caroline Garcia, maybe it was, but whatever it was, it wasn't the new version that we've come to expect uh, and she was making an awful lot of errors in those first few games. And honestly, it kind of felt done very early on. I didn't have any confidence that Garcia was, was going to get it back. It just had a just had an awkward feeling to it. You know, the sort of match we've seen before where a player starts badly. They've only got two out of three sets to try and get it together. And... She didn't. She never. She never came that close, really. Uh, Jabir obviously played very, very well and had had led the head-to-head, and that was maybe a factor as well. But I expected a lot more from Garcia tonight. It was a perfect match example for me, evidence of why women need to be playing best of five, particularly in these big matches, because you felt the sense of panic in Garcia it's not happening I'm tight and I need to get it together quickly or this match is going to be over yeah she looked over to her box after two or three games Mm. with an extremely worried expression Mm, that feeling of I don't have I, I can't afford to take time to settle here and and obviously her feeling that exacerbated the problem and the match was over extremely quickly um, but there was a, a real panic, and yeah, she didn't she didn't deal with the panic well at all. She, easy for me to say from here, but she should have been reining the margins in. But she was going for the lines and hitting, particularly sort of middle stages of that opening set, some really rash, um, sort of dumb-looking shots um, that just smacked of rabbit in the headlights. And they were trying to get her to when she went over to the corner to even move in further to go for it mm. more it seemed mm. to me and look that I, I'm a big fan of that return position and it's obviously been hugely effective for her for for weeks now and I can understand feeling like it's that old balance that we often talk about between champions adjust but also back your game mm. believe in it it's you tough know? isn't it it's you don't want to be Gail Monfils playing Novak Djokovic in the in the US Open semi-final, just coming out there clearly not believing in your game from from the word go, very very tough balance. Um, so she, you know, she she tried to back herself and just keep doing the things that had been working like a dream up until today. But maybe it was a problem for her tonight that she'd been winning so easily up until this point throughout this streak I think the most game most games she had lost in a set before tonight was four she hadn't been in a battle she hadn't been forced to find a plan b for a very long time she'd only lost back-to-back games once in the whole tournament was a stat that they said on ESPN and suddenly she finds herself losing the first two games of of the semi-final it was it was unknown territory for her and she'd only lost her serve three times in the whole tournament I think she lost it four times tonight 
Yeah. What is it that Jabir is doing, though, do you think? Because, I mean, I think it's, it's very easy to, to look at that match and say, Garcia didn't turn up. But, and I think parts of it, that's, that's correct, um, certainly in the early part of the match. I watched all of the second set, quite a lot of the end of the first set, but I thought towards the end, in mid parts of the se- second set, Garcia was starting to do some of the things that have made her so dangerous in the last uh, few weeks, few months. But they just didn't have any effect on Jaber. She, she has that ability to serve in a way that handcuffs the player standing in and trying to take the time away. And then her hands are such mm. that she can handle the the, pa- the firepower. Yeah, those were the two, I think. The serve, she picked her spots really well and hit quite a lot of aces for Jabir today and kind of exposed that return position, I suppose. And then the hands, like she can deal with power coming at her and deflect and redirect and put the ball in a few in a few awkward spaces, I think. Um, I don't think Jabir feels as rushed as some players do when they face Garcia. Um, and also, I think Jabir, you know, she hasn't got a lot more experience than Garcia in these situations, but she's got very recent more experience. And I, I think she probably did take something from having been in a Grand Slam semi-final before. And she was, she was determined not to let that become a match, not to have one of her lapses. You know, she was looking over at her box and pointing very determinedly at the court, like, okay, this is the one. I'm not letting this up. And, and she didn't. She, she played a, a great match. Jabir, Catherine, to me, is a, an unexpected, su- pleasant surprise at this tournament. You know, we, we talked at the, the outset, didn't we, how we just couldn't see, or, or she wasn't in anybody's conversation. She wasn't really in anybody's mix. I picked her twice to lose matches over the course of the fortnight, and it's because of the lack of form added to the lack of reputation um, and, and kind of evidence of her credibility at these cyber tournaments on a regular basis. And, and yet she's just shut that down at every stage. Yeah, look, as you know, I'm, I'm a total jibber believer and I have been since spring of this year, I think. I really do believe that she'll get there I do believe she'll win a Grand Slam title and I believed this before this tournament but she wasn't in my quarterfinal lineup and I I can't remember what her early round sort of projected matchups are but I don't think I even hovered over her I don't think she was someone that I deliberated over so many other players were playing well as yeah, well weren't absolutely they? and there'd wasn't. been a little injury question mark um, I think she didn't she retire from a match early on in the hard court summer or certainly was struggling with injury in one and, and wasn't a factor in Toronto or Cincinnati and I'd you know the the Wimbledon run came off the back of form she won a tournament leading in the Wimbledon quarterfinal the previous year she'd run a tournament won a tournament leading in the French Open when she really should have had a, a, a great run I know she lost first round but was off the back of tremendous success in, in the build up I do think she's a you know, do things by the playbook kind of player. Tick off the milestones, do the right preparation, be in the right mindset. Um, a, a quite a deliberate player, if you like, which is in opposition to her game style, which is so free spirited. Um, but yeah, I didn't have it. I didn't have it anywhere near my specific U.S. Open mix. Mm-hmm. 
Same. And I think a lot of it for me was hardcore. Like, I know that sounds weird because most players are fine on hardcore and then it's either clay or grass that maybe is their speciality or the ones they really have to work at. And I know she's done well at the Australian Open before, Jabur, but I just felt like clay and grass are where she separates herself from a lot of players. And she says herself she has to adapt to hardcore. And I just didn't think that she would be likely to have a really deep run at this hardcore major where there's so many more players comfortable on the surface and where her game maybe you wouldn't think would quite you know suit it so much in terms of the variety she's able to bring that that those things really help her on on clay and grass and yet well she's just shown me to be an idiot because <laughs> because her game's working well and she does seem to have a have a real comfort level there was a moment of debate um in the ESPN commentary team tonight, wasn't there, when Jabur hit a drop shot return, which became a trademark over the summer, and we bloom in love with the <laughs> drop shot return, don't we? We all collectively love it. And I, it didn't win her the point, did it? I mean, it was a successful return, but just sat up a little bit and I think was hit away for a winner from Garcia. Um, and Pam Shriver, who's in the courtside commentary position for ESPN, said, I, I don't like that on a hard... I, I like the shot, but not on a hard court. And Chrissy Everett chimed in, I don't mind it. <laughs> <laughs> Which I just loved. Um, but, you know, you wouldn't even be having that debate on a clay mm. court, or even it was very effective at Wimbledon, wasn't it? I mean, it was one of the shots of the summer. Um, I think, it, at the very least, it's a great surprise tactic. Bit like yes, and she didn't do it. In fact, I think she might only have done it that that one time but that's an example of how you know she's she's not able to just do the things that she was doing on you know not all of her trickery works mm. is it not all of it is as transferable um so it's yeah it's, it's it exactly as you said david it's a lovely surprise do you know i think back six months it's about six months ash barty's just retired and i remember asking I don't know whether you were both on the podcast at that time or, or whether it was just one of you, but I remember asking, why isn't Ons Jabeur the next Ash Barty? Why isn't she when she's got this skill set? And I think she, she asked herself that and she at should some be. point. She should be capable of doing more or less what Ash Barty mm. has achieved over the last few years, given how good she is, given how she has a heavy forehand and she has a slice backhand, she has drop shots and even more variety than Ash Barty did. But she doesn't, or she didn't, have that reliable package of point-winning combinations. And, uh, and I think she's developed so much more professionalism, so much more logic to her, her winning uh, and... and and made it repeatable I honestly think she has asked herself that question or maybe not even is maybe it's not even had to be a question I think she's maybe before Ash Barty retired looked at her and gone there's no reason that can't be me I can do that yeah absolutely and that was something I discussed with um Clang alert here Martina Vatilova during the Madrid coverage on Prime prime video and she definitely believed that too that she said how could she not have been an inspiration for a player like Ons Jabeur especially as it took Ash Barty a bit of time to figure it out and package it 
as as we always say. And neither one tall, neither yeah. one neither one just intimidating. Ne- neither with a bludgeoning weapon. No. You know, Barty had a big-ish forehand, a lot of spin on it. It was a good weapon, but it wasn't a just a point-ending hammer, as Matteo Berrettini would, would say, although he... He, that's his trademark, isn't it? Only only he has a hammer. <laughs> no, it's not in the quarter finally, did not <laughs> No. no. We, we all have our hammers blunted <laughs> once in a while, don't we? <laughs> left, and left it in the locker room, left it in the shed. <laughs> <laughs> that's going to be used again, I like that. <laughs> on, on this point of it being a, a lovely surprise, I, I was speaking to Reem Abeliel, who has obviously we had on the podcast over Wimbledon and has followed on Chabot incredibly closely. And she was saying that she is so pleased that Chabot is backing up Wimbledon because she did quite a lot of uh, news reports and bulletins around the time of just after the Wimbledon final. And a lot of it was was like, oh, well, why didn't she win the Wimbledon final? You know, those sort of lazy sports takes from people who don't, follow tennis closely and they were asking questions like does she need a new coach all that sort of thing just off the back of one wow. Wimbledon final loss and and Reem was like obviously Jabir doesn't need to prove herself to those people but backing it up and doing it at the US Open will do that so I just I'm sort of pleased for that reason as well I think yeah yeah me too it's uh, and I, I, the other thing I'm happy about is that another country another city discovers mm. on Strabert on a big scale she's suddenly in front of the national tv audience here she's in front of 23,000 people on the Arthur Ashe Stadium court and she's she wins them over a bit like last night Carlos Alcaraz and Yannick Sinner won people over and Francis Tiafoe over the last few days it's this is a great opportunity for players to come out of the shadows of Serena Williams and all the big three and you know, all the big names that we've had over these many years. And while Martin Del Potro was, was in the house last night. And, you know, great to see him, great to see Andy Roddick. But this is this is these players' time now. And uh, Jabir is the sort of player, and I, I kind of feel similarly about Sviantek. You want, you want them to show everybody what they've got, because they've got a lot. Um, and, I, and I think it's, it's really, really great news. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. So Ansh Jibet is going to face Iga Sviantek in the final after what ended up being a really good match. Um, certainly the third set, it was it was sort of two players playing well separately for the first two sets um, with uh, Iga Sviantek and, and Arena Sabalenka. But final set, Matt, that, that felt more like the Iga Sviantek from the first part of the year. She was brilliant. She was really good. She was twice a breakdown in it. Two love down, four two down, but cut out the errors, locked her game down, but was still going for her shots. I thought she was. I thought that was the best tennis I've seen Shvantec play all tournament in the second set and third set tonight. And as you said, second set there wasn't that much resistance from Sabalenka, but the third set there really was. And yeah, I feel like. Um, Sviantek really played well tonight and has set herself up well for the final. I've thought all along this tournament that Iga Sviantek's not going to win it. Someone's going to beat her because she's vulnerable and not playing that well. But she's fought through matches, tough moments, and she finds herself in the final. It's it's the mark of a number one, I think. Mm. Yeah. The, the the writing was on the wall for Sabalenka when she she went and won that first set. What was she doing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so just to just to you know sum up Arena Sabalenka's Grand Slam year six and zero oh when she lost the first set, all three of her defeats when she won the first set. What a confusing tennis she's, player! She's bonkers. She <laughs> it's extraordinary, um, and I mean. She definitely took it to Sviantek, and I felt she had it ripped away from her tonight. I didn't feel she did a, a lot wrong, um, and I think it's it's a measure of just how good the world number one is when she when she hits a stride. I mean, the movement that she's got. You know, we we talked a lot about movement last night uh, following the Alcaraz Sinner match, but I mean that movement. Catherine, that, that it's like that wins her matches sometimes. Yeah, the um, the backhand from the splits position on on the run 
is is becoming an iconic Iga Shvantec move, isn't it? It's like a combination. It's like a Kim Kleister's Novak Djokovic hybrid type mm. thing, um, and it's quite a sight to behold. Um, yeah, she's she's incredible. I, I still think there's a a little bit of vulnerability there. That that forehand is attackable. You you, you can break it down, but she she brings it back, you know, as you said, Matt, this is this maybe this is the real mark of a world number one or a world number one that's here to stay, certainly. And sorry to be always mentioning Ash Barty, but you know, we're really digging deep with Iga Svantec as world number one and learning about her in that position and I feel like I've almost learnt more about her this tournament watching this run than I did the French Open watching her pile up pile up the the mostly very one sided wins. Um yeah, she's becoming more and more compelling. And I don't know, I I'll almost always rather see a, a, a three set win than a than a straight sets you know. I I love the concept of Eager's bakery, but <laughs> I, I love competition in a tennis match and I love seeing her I love seeing her compete and dig. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's that's it, what's compelling. It is very um, magnetic to to watch somebody just grit the teeth the way she mm. does. She's mm. such a competitor, actually. She's she's so up for it. Um, and um, yeah, I, I I have a lot of time for watching her just generally, and and I I sort of. I worry for her at times because she seems so on the brink of kind of really struggling to handle it all, uh, and yet she's she's she is handling it all. It's um, it, and and that I think makes her play at her very best is when it's that combination of intensity but not combusting on the spot sort of thing. Yeah, I think that's right, and um, it would be. It would be a very different win, wouldn't it, to her last two Grand Slam victories? Because, as you said, those came when she was playing brilliant tennis throughout the whole two weeks. You know, here she's really had to battle for it, and yet there have been these tremendous peaks of of tennis as well, like we saw in, in the latter stages tonight. She is a she is a compelling compelling watch, and it feels like a very fitting final, actually. Did Sabalenka mm. blow it at all? I mean, you know, she she's had this a lot now, she's, being in position to reach a Grand Slam final and not doing it. Yeah, because well, well, she's well, played three setters in her semi-finals, mm. hasn't she? She has come close. I mean, I I am going to def- defer to those in the room that were awake throughout the f- the third set. <laughs> it, it got late. <laughs> I think this might be on you, Matt. Well. Shvantec won 16 of the last 20 points. Wow. And that was from a breakdown. You know, Sabalenka did have it. But, look, I don't think she was absolutely peaking in those final games, Sabalenka, because otherwise she probably would have won them. Her level did dip. But Shvantec really knuckled down. And as you said, the movement, she gets behind the ball. It's hard to hit it past her. Uh, She was sprinting everything down, coming up with winners of her own. I think Sabalenka will will feel like she could have won that match, yes. But it's Iga Sviontek, the world number one, and 
she lost 6-4 in the third. It wasn't it wasn't a disaster from Sabalenka. It was much better performance than her US Open semi-final last year, where I really think she did mm. let that one go with just a whirlwind of unforced errors. This wasn't like that. Mm. Well, we've got sort of 24 hours to really have a proper think about this final and preview it in, in tomorrow's show. But, I mean, it is a sort of kind of immediate thought, her against Jabir. Well, I, I know I'm a broken record, but I'm, I'm becoming obsessed with rivalries. Stop trying to make rivalries happen, Catherine. <laughs> well, I am. I'm trying to make rivalries happen. Uh, make no apology for it. The sport's built on rivalries and I th- I think think this could be one you know contrast of styles Sabalenka Barty was building into a rivalry wasn't it before before Ash Barty retired I feel like you know this could be the the next incarnation of that if you and like. it works on every surface really doesn't yeah because they can both play on them all exactly and the head-to-head is interesting they're currently um, at two wins apiece, Shontek won their last meeting in Rome of this year, but that was when um, Jabir was really running on fumes at that stage. She had won Madrid and um, somehow made it through to that Rome final, despite being sort of completely down and out against Maria Sakkari, I think, in the the quarters or semi-finals. Um, Ons Jabir won their meeting before that in Cincinnati last year, so that's on a hard court. That was quite one-sided in Jabir's favour. She won at Wimbledon the previous year en route to that um, breakthrough run for her to, to the quarterfinals of Islam for the first time. And then Svantec won in Washington back in 2019. But if you'll recall, when asked about Jessica Pagula beating her in Washington 2019, she does not count Washington 2019 in any head-to-head. You can't have it both ways, Eager. So, by your own logic, you're down in the (laughs) head-to-head to to Ons Jabeur, which I find very interesting. And, you know, with with Jabeur's head-to-heads, maybe that was a a factor today against Caroline Garcia. I think there was a lot going on against Caroline Garcia, but, of course, very one-sided head-to-head in... Jabir's favour so uh, it's interesting it's really got all the ingredients for a lovely delicious rivalry and I'm I'm going to be trying to make it happen unapologetically <laughs> and it's just fitting they've been the best two players of the season really I mean I know Garcia's had this run in the last couple of months but Jabir and Sviantec are one and two and it feels like a really good way to wrap up the Grand Slam season I think yeah it does so that's a match to savour on Saturday I think I think they play the final at 4pm local time don't they yes so that's a a good time for a number of time zones I'm sure there'll be those of you out there that 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 it isn't good for that that it's not never going to be a time that works for everybody but um um, certainly will be one that uh, works in the UK and uh, and also in Europe. It's, what, 10 o'clock at night, isn't it? Um, so we shall see, and we'll have a, a, another 24 hours to think about who we reckon is going to win it. Um, what else? We've got uh, a couple of double semi-finals to tell you about on the men's side with both with British players involved. 
Joe Salisbury and Rajiv Ram, experienced pairing now, won through today against uh, Cabal and Farah, 10-6 in the third set tiebreak. And they'll now face Wesley Kuhlhoff and Neil Skupski, who were 6-4-7-5 winners over Roger and Aravalo. Um, so Salisbury Ram against Kuhlhoff Skupski, that's now going to be tomorrow, the final, at uh, 12 o'clock local time. On paper, that is a tantalising final, isn't it? And, it? and it's got a lot of meaning for for these teams. I mean, I, I interviewed Kulhoff and Skupski a couple of days ago, actually, um, for the BBC, and and I was really struck by the way Neil Skupski, when he was, I asked him about the potential of becoming world number one in doubles, and he said, "Look, I'm really not interested in individual world number one. I want us to be a world number one team." And he was he was very motivated um, on, on that score. But, you know, both teams have got that sort of dangling there. Yeah, look, I, th- I think Neil Skubsky and Wesley Kulhoff have been the best team of this year. They are on track to become the, the world number one team. On form, they are the, the world number one pairing. Six tour titles as a scratch pairing. Um, started playing together at the start of the year. But the Grand Slam success had been what was missing. This was their first semi-final together, and now it will be their first final together. Both of them have had success with other partners, particularly Wesley Kulhoff, who um, won the ATP finals, didn't he, with Nikola Mektic um, at the end of the season, a couple of seasons ago, before Mektic then teamed up with Pavic ahead of the Olympic year and went on to win Olympic gold together. But yeah, this is it's tantalising. Defending champions, the really established pairing of Rajiv Ram and Joe Salisbury against the pairing of the moment, Wesley Kulhoff and Neil Skubsky, but that haven't done it at this top level. It's, it's tasty. Mm, yeah, I suspect there's going to be some seriously dynamic rallies in that final. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go and watch that one for sure. Um, we've also had one of the mixed doubles pairings reaching the final with Storm Sanders and John Piers getting through today. And Sanders will also join up with Caroline Dollahide in the doubles to take on Katie McNally and Taylor Townsend in the semi-finals of the women's doubles. So lots and lots of things to be decided over the next couple of days. We'll bring you further updates to cover all the doubles and the wheelchair tournaments and the junior event as well over the weekend um, which are also going to feature the singles finals over the weekend too but the men's semi-finals are going to be played first of all tomorrow so after that men's doubles uh, final at 12 we've got Kasper Ruud against Karen Hachanov at 3 o'clock followed by 7 o'clock Francis Tiafo against Carlos Alcaraz and this potential to have the world number one decided as well in the final if uh, Rude and Alcaraz get to the final what are we thinking you don't have to give away your, your ev- everything you've got in your newsletter predictions because we've we've actually named set scores in there haven't we but I mean what's your feeling generally Catherine about these two matches I think big forehands yes I think mm. that's fair I think Casper Ruud for the first one. Um, so I've been really impressed by him, particularly the last couple of rounds. 
there's a steal there that I perhaps haven't given him credit enough for before. Um, and Hashinov clearly has game, but I, I, I just have a confidence in Kasper Ruud. Um, and I think he's really motivated by that number one thing. I, I really do. Whatever we all might think of it, it's helping him. And uh, I do think Alcaraz is going to come through the second one. Mm. Um, be interesting to see whether he's... Is he going to flag at all physically? Yeah, Two successive five-setters? Is he going to feel it, you know, with the crowd against him? We all remember Hugo Gaston and Paris indoors last year when he left the court, I think, in tears. Certainly very traumatised and upset by how partisan they were. I mean, that is a Parisian crowd, which obviously is partisan in a different way to any other crowd in the world, even a New York crowd. But there are are question marks there, and there is a part of me that just says, Tiafo's the... The momentum guy somehow this year. Tiafo's this year's Raducanu. Um But I'm going to go with Alcaraz. Because I just <laughs> think he's so darn good at tennis. Yeah, he's pretty good at tennis. What do you think, Matt? Where are you falling on these two matches? No notes, really. That was that was comprehensive analysis. There's a, there's a sort of starter main course feel about them. You mm. know, like rude action of respect the hell out of those two players think it will be a competitive tight match uh, I also back rude um, but the one I'm very excited for is Tiafo Alcaraz I think that could be electric it yeah. should be if they both play well it, it, it will be I mean the way they move that, the way they I hit think. the ball that if they play well both of them I mean imagine how into it the crowd will be, the way they engage. Yeah. Friday Night Lights. Oh, yeah. Friday Night Lights. I watched that show. So did I. Learned everything that I know about American football from that show, which you think would be more. (laughs) Anyway. I was going to say. (laughs) Oh, well. I'm I'm on a journey. You you are. We're all on journeys, aren't we? Moving on. Um, So... As a as a final word, just to say our US Open mascot is Phoebe. Uh, we have our own mascots. Mine is Darwin. Catherine's is Carter. Uh, Matt's is the dearly departed Gerald. Uh, Billie Jean King and Alana Kloss sponsor Billie Jean the dog. Chris Albert Lee and Carl Weingartner are our executive producers and top blokes. Um, we will be back again tomorrow for another edition of the show after both the men's semi-finals we'll be here with you over the weekend as well um it's been a very strange day as we said at the start of the show and um we're we're just looking forward to watching the tennis just at the moment really because that that's uh, something that keeps on going and that's what we're here for we hope you continue to enjoy the shows um the newsletter will be continuing as well the next few days um and yeah, the, the competition remains open for AO Travel. Um, if you want to have a, a look in our show notes, all the, all the links for all this stuff is there. And, uh, and you can enter, you can become a friend, etc., etc. Anyway, good night for now from all of us. And we'll see you tomorrow. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.